Welcome to Orthodox.Faith. This is John Harmon. And this is Ron Bentley. And we want to welcome you to the podcast and to our latest series called Ultimate Hope Has a Name. We've got a lot to talk about in this area called hope, and that's going to be a very important word for us. The word hope strikes a lot of chords with most of us, I think. A lot of things come to mind, and I think a lot of feelings come to mind when the word hope comes up in the conversation. We love the idea of hope because we certainly don't like the alternative, which is despair or what some might call hopelessness. But we've got to ask ourselves a really important question. What do we typically mean by the word hope when we use it in conversation today. Is that really what the Bible and our Christian tradition teach us that hope is? Yeah, there are lots of ways that we can use that word, and I may have something planned for later today, and I can just say in passing, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I might (laughs) even say something else along the lines of, I hope one day I'm independently wealthy. And that is not exactly what we're looking at when we start talking about hope here. When we hope in those cases, we're simply looking forward with a desire for that thing to happen. Right. When we say hope these days, most of the time, we just really are saying, this is something I want. This is something I want to happen. This is something I want to transpire. And there's really very little more to it than that. But Christian hope is different. And it's very different. Right. It is not just a feeling or a desire for a certain outcome at some point in the future. It is something far more substantial than that. And because of that, Christian hope is much more powerful and effective in our lives and in the world. In fact, if we can get a hold of this thing called hope in the sense that Scripture gives it to us, the sense that the Christian tradition embraces, it'll change both our lives and the world. I really want to emphasize that by pointing out that as far as I'm concerned, this question of hope is a question of life and death. We talked about the alternatives here. Those are despair and hopelessness. Despair and hopelessness take life away. They sap life from us. They deal death. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, when we're talking about hope, we're talking about something that is more powerful than death. That's something that we've got to come to terms with as we get to the end. There's so much more I want to say at this point, but I'm going to hold that until the time comes. Okay, well, where are we headed then in this series? We're going to go places far beyond just confirming what we typically think of hope to be in our modern conversation. We're going to go far beyond that to something we're calling here ultimate hope. We're talking about hope that once it is fulfilled, it leaves us longing for nothing else. There's nothing further, nothing beyond it to pin our hope to. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for something that actually uh, made me think of John 4 and what Jesus promises the woman at the well. That's right. In that story, when Jesus asked the woman for water, and then as they start talking, Jesus suggests that he can offer living water, and the woman says, you don't have a bucket. You're you're not getting any water out of this well. And then Jesus just kind of leads the conversation into the possibility of there being a source of living water. And Jesus said, if you have this, it can even become a spring of living water inside of you. The notion being, and, and Jesus actually says this explicitly, that once you have access to this water, you'll never long for anything else. 
That's precisely what we're looking for when we're talking about ultimate hope. As we continue deeper into this topic, what we're after is a solidly biblical understanding of what hope is. We're going to look for that in the story of God's people in the Bible. Let's ask ourselves the question, did ancient Israel and the church have a hope? And if so, where was that hope focused? We ought to be able to find it there if it is there. And this should be a primary cue for us as we frame our understanding of hope as Christians today. Surprisingly, the noun hope doesn't even show up in the Gospels. We only find the verb to hope five times in the Gospels. So it does come up more often in the epistles. But something we want to highlight is the way that hope is so thoroughly presupposed in the New Testament. We find it far more often than simply where we encounter the specific word hope itself. It's connected to the language of expectation and confidence in God that we find so commonly throughout the Bible. These ideas don't originate in the New Testament, though. In fact, in order to understand them, in order to understand hope itself, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to see how this bigger picture of hope informs us toward a more biblical sense of hope and a sense that is more powerful and more enduring and even transforming for us. A good example, and I think a good starting point for us here, is what First Peter says concerning hope, specifically how he begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah, notice how Peter situates the hope right there in the vicinity of Jesus and Jesus' resurrection. The words were a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As Peter goes ahead and plays this out in the letter, he is convinced that the prophets of the ancient nation of Israel were looking forward to this hope. He will go on and describe how they looked to what this generation now got to see. They were looking forward to something God was going to accomplish, and now it's been seen. So as far as Peter's concerned, everything he's saying right here about Jesus, about Jesus' suffering and about Jesus' resurrection is firmly placed in the context of the hope of the ancient nation of Israel. Now, one thing Peter goes on to say is that He recognizes his audience didn't get to see Jesus. This letter is addressed to a group of people living in Asia Minor. Peter recognizes they didn't see what he saw. So in a way, they themselves are looking to this hope as something they haven't gotten to put their eyes on. So in the same way that the ancient prophets didn't get to put their eyes on Jesus, these people haven't gotten to put their eyes on. They're just looking back instead of the prophets looking forward. Peter Mm. recognizes this. He also acknowledges that his audience is suffering. In many cases, they are suffering. He points out that Jesus himself suffered, and he insists that nevertheless, the hope remains. There is one other thing about this that really stands out. It zipped right by at the beginning in the opening part of that verse. Peter refers to Jesus as Christ. He refers to Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Messiah, which stands for the anointed one or the way that the ancient kings of Israel were anointed at their coronation. I'm glad you brought that up at this particular point, Ron, because that's a a really important term in this conversation, Messiah or the anointed one or the Christ as we find it in the New Testament. Messiah is itself a hope that was expressed over and over by people in the ancient nation of Israel. There's a key connection here between hope and Messiah in the Bible that we're going to run with in the course of this discussion. If you're saying to yourself, I just care about what Jesus did, what does the ancient nation of Israel have to do with this? Just start by observing what Peter has done here. Peter interprets what God did in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ squarely in the context of the ancient hope of Israel. There's no way around it. In the New Testament, right here, as Peter's assessing what has happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's connected straight back to what people in the ancient nation of Israel were hoping for. There's something about this thing that God has done in the story of Jesus Christ that has its roots in the Old Testament past. A Christian understanding of hope begins unequivocally in the Old Testament. That's exactly right. And we're talking specifically here about Messiah or Christ. I just want to point out to everyone that the opening chapter of the opening book of the New Testament is a genealogy. It culminates in the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ, of Jesus the Messiah. The point is, looking back at everything we're seeing in the Old Testament, we have arrived to this point with this man whose name is Jesus, who we are identifying as the Messiah. In every one of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this pivotal point where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? His disciples answer, and he follows it up with a question, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And according to Matthew, Jesus acknowledges the title and seems to consider it tremendously important that Peter has realized that. Take it forward. The author of the letter of 1 John is the one who writes that God is love and that perfect love casts out fear. But he's also struggling to deal with a part of the community that has betrayed the church's most essential assertions. And when he has to put his finger on it, he does it this way. He says, who's the liar? It's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Hmm. Move to the letters of Paul. In Paul's letters, the words Jesus and Christ are so closely tied together that some have even joked about Paul using Christ as Jesus' last name. There's no doubt about the connection here to that Old Testament hope for Messiah. Yes, and to broaden that out a little bit, the New Testament is also packed full of allusions to expressions of hope in the Old Testament that relate to the Messiah, but that may or may not use the specific term Messiah or Christ actually there in the passage. There's just so many examples. Uh, I mean, we we really will never run out uh, of examples (laughs) that support this idea 
The Gospel and Acts, like you pointed to, the early parts of the New Testament open with direct references to the fulfillment of this Old Testament hope that had long been there. Just so early on, you mentioned the genealogy that opens the New Testament as a whole, the book of Matthew in particular. That genealogy ends with the statement, Jesus, who is called the Christ, after he talks about the 14 generations and the way that that we had gotten to that point. Uh, Matthew 2, references to the Magi include a reference to Micah 5, the escape to Egypt, references Hosea chapter 11, both of those being prophetic texts that were understood to refer to the Messiah. Uh, In uh, John the Baptist is referenced in Matthew in direct connection to Isaiah 40. We see it again in Mark. Mark opens his gospel with John the Baptist and that same connection to Isaiah 40. In the book of Luke, as another example, after Luke tells the stories of Jesus birth. He gets to chapter 3, talks about John the Baptist again, another connection to Isaiah 40, and goes into the genealogy of Jesus. John's gospel opens with in the beginning, and he does not mean in the beginning of the New Testament, uh, what he says. (laughs) He's straight back to Genesis 1, in the beginning. His words are chosen carefully. (laughs) Yes. Yep. He's going way back before the New Testament. In the book of Acts, uh, which we've actually talked about quite a bit in previous series, uh, chapter 2 at Pentecost, references to the book of Joel, uh, another prophetic book, uh, references to Psalms uh, 16. 110. In uh, chapter 4 of Acts, a reference to Psalm 118, uh, all of this uh, coming together that really shows us, uh, there's no other way to understand this, but in connection with Old Testament hope for Messiah. In the Old Testament past, that's behind all of this that we've been talking about in the New Testament that we've, we've been kind of reading about here and discussing, we clearly see the unfolding of a national hope that was to come from Israel. Yeah, this focus really seems to be on this anointed one or this Messiah. So the burning question seems to become now, who is this anointed one? Who was this anointed one? Right. The hope or the expectation for a particular special anointed one from God, that whole idea developed over a lot of time, Okay, developed throughout the course of the Old Testament, through the period uh, between the Testaments okay. and into the first century. It was all rooted actually in an unfolding promise that God was revealing. The biblical hope for all of this, this promise and this plan, it goes all the way back to Genesis. As soon as I hear you say that, my question is, okay, what out of Genesis are we thinking about here? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of folks would identify the real beginning of this as the statement in Genesis 3, where God promises the crushing of the serpent's head oh, yeah, okay. by the seed of the woman. But really where we find the plan actually begin to unfold. The plan itself is really seated in the promise to Abraham in chapter 12, Uh, where God promises to Abraham that through him, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All nations will be blessed, right. Okay. Yeah. And we talk about messianic prophecy, and we talk about prophecies and predictions that we find in the Old Testament, but the doctrine of a Messiah is not just a collection of assorted promises. Okay. We, we don't only find these in explicit promises, and we sum them all up and say, well, here we have Messiah. Really, what all of that is about is a single promise that comes together in a cumulative, unified plan. Okay. It's a single promise and a single plan that Messiah plays a central role in. And because of that, that plan is a central part of what biblical hope actually is. John, to make sure that I understand at this point, what we're saying is that the people of the first century were looking at the entirety of the documents in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through to the prophets and pulling together an expectation that came from reading all of that together. Yes, yes. Even though particular parts of the Old Testament are quoted directly, what really stands behind how they understand what is happening in the world in and through Jesus Christ is really the sum of a promise that goes way back to the beginning and that unfolds slowly and that has many parts, but is a single plan based on a single promise, something that God was going to do for the world through a very special anointed one that we wouldn't meet and wouldn't understand until Jesus actually came. And even then, Uh, Many would have (laughs) trouble uh, uh, understanding and accepting him, but that is just all part of the unfolding story. The point we're trying to make is if we want to know what our hope is supposed to be as Christians, then we have to look at how Christians and their spiritual ancestors in ancient Israel approached this question. Don't be surprised if you find out that this hope is not at all what you are expecting, but it is all the more powerful for not being what you are looking for. Let me point back to the letter of Peter and the audience that Peter addressed. He recognized that they were suffering. He recognized that just as they suffered, Jesus suffered. And yet he said they had hope in this context. I'm going to bring it a step further. A few episodes back, we talked about a letter that a bishop by the name of Cyprian wrote to Christians in the early centuries who were suffering in the Roman mines. They had been sent to the mines because of their faith. They were sent there to die. They knew when they entered that mine, it was the last thing they would see and their lives would end there in exhaustion as they were worked until they died. And nevertheless, those people died in Christian hope. Wow. That is the power of the hope we're Mm. talking about. Yes, this hope that we're describing, this hope that the early Christians expressed is the very same hope that was so brilliantly foretold by the prophets of ancient Israel. It may well need to replace what many of us currently rely on for hope. So don't forget that this is ultimate hope that we're talking about here. As we said at the beginning, we say that we hope for a lot of things. We say we hope for new stuff or more income, or we hope for or against specific leaders to prevail and so on. John, is it not the case that when we hope for those things and then if we're lucky enough, 
that those hopes materialize, uh, we find ourselves disappointed and necessarily mm. hoping for more. Right. What we're talking about here, you might say it's the hope that ends all other hopes. The mm. hope that once fulfilled leaves us wanting for nothing else. We may well pursue other good things, but at that point, we do it simply because our hope is now placed where it ought to be. Right. This is a hope that is so certain and so good. It's so well-placed that when I do place it where it belongs, when I put my ultimate hope in that which cannot leave me hoping for anything else, it will have an effect on my life that is very different from what we see around us when ultimate hopes are misplaced onto people and things that history has shown us too many times are going to leave us unfulfilled. When ultimate hope is not placed where it belongs, it can turn us into people that we as Christians don't want to be. There are just so many ways things can go wrong and so many extremes and so many different directions that we can end up if we don't have our hope well-placed. But that's where we got to wrap up this discussion here. And John, would you tell us about where we're headed in the next episode? Sure. As we continue this series in the next episode, we're going to get specific and concrete about this story that we keep talking about. We're going to look into some examples of how the focus of hope for God's people shows up and how all of that connects to promises that God has made. That is foundational for us as we struggle to understand what hope is for us today. That's where we're headed next. For more information about this podcast and our other activities, visit our website at orthodox.faith. That's O-R-T-H-O-D-O-C-S dot F-A-I-T-H. And thank you very much for listening. 